and welcome to the first ever episode of Origin Stories. I'm Brian Salazar from Around Comics, and this is something a little different uh, for you Patreon subscribers. And, and well, this one will probably be for everybody. But uh, so what is it you're listening to here? I, I, you might be wondering what I'm doing again. Another another show. How many can I possibly produce? Uh, so this was just an idea I had as a uh, a selfish motivated thing that I wanted to try and accomplish because I've been a uh, a struggling writer for most of my life and uh, and and so I decided to reach out to some writers that I know some that I don't know and I'm going to do a series of interviews talking to writers about how they got through their first story how they got to the place of wanting to write a story and then sort of how they got that first script done so that's the whole idea of origin stories how they created themselves into writers what 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 is their backstory and so the first person that i decided to have on the show that who was kind enough to join me is a, a long time one of the first around comics faithful one of the one of the long time a guy that would be at uh you know challengers comics on a friday night when we were doing a podcast and he'd just be digging through you know dollar bins of comics with mike norton uh, a longtime friend of the program mr tim seeley how are you tim hey man great to uh, talk to you on a, on a thursday this time uh, so i have my weekends free that, that's, that's <laughs> yeah i'm not taking up your fridays anymore we're you know we're all getting older so it's like fridays you know we gotta we gotta spend time with the kids and that kind of stuff uh tim for those that don't know who you are which i i probably uh, I, i'm assuming most people that listen to the show probably already know you you've been on the show many many times we've talked over the years a bunch uh, but for those that don't know, uh, you have written uh, I, too many comic books to name. Uh, some of them, you created Hack Slash, uh, you did Revival, you started on G.I. Joe, uh, you've written Masters of the Universe, Nightwing, Grayson, Robbins. Uh, now you have Money Shot, which is your new comic uh, that's been coming out for over the last year. Bequest, you're coming out soon with Superman versus Lobo. Uh, what else? I don't even know what else. You, King you've Shark. King Shark. King Shark, yeah, Suicide Squad, King Shark. Um, yeah, you are, I've called you the hardest work, working man in comics. Uh, and, and you always are coming out with entertaining and, and great work. Uh, in fact, we just talked about King Shark on the last episode of Around Comics, oh. uh, the regular, regular show. Um, but how did you get into writing? Now, I know you you started out as an artist. You, you uh, drew comics first or wanted to draw comics first. How did you get from that place? Well, let's go back before that. When did you start sort of getting interested in storytelling and whether it was writing or drawing or, or that kind of thing? When did that sort of start for you? Really early. Um, so when I was like five or six, somewhere in there, I, I saw my first comic book. Uh, it was a issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Um, and I just kind of fell in love with it. We were on a camping trip. It rained the whole time. My parents bought me some comics to keep me entertained. Uh, you know, right around that time was I saw the Masters of the Universe figures and they came with the mini comics. So like all those things just sort of like drew me into the, the medium. Uh, and I, I remember very early asking my parents how they made these things. And my dad said they draw somebody draws those. Uh, so it started me on this idea of like I could make comics if I drew them. Um, and so we were kids. We were always drawing. Uh, we used to like walk up to my my grandpa and my my uncle and my dad and be like, we would just go draw. We would hand them paper and then they, we would just watch them. Like this was something my brothers and I um, both did. I have two brothers. 
So your father and, and your grandfather both were artists or, or they mean, both my, you know, my dad uh, was a welder. My grandpa was a carpenter. Um, so no, uh, but I think to some degree on both sides of my family, there are people who were interested in art stuff. My dad can do amazing sort of isometric drawings like of cars and stuff. He's, he's a very mechanically based guy. Um, so he was always able to do that. I think I, if I recall, I had very early on seen him drawing schematics for like um, buildings that he was going to like literally put up a shed. And to me, that was close enough to drawing. So I was like here, same with my grandpa, my grandmother, um, she used to sketch and doodle little things. So like everybody was always doodling, but nobody, nobody in my family before my generation, um, you know, me and Steve basically made a living off art. It, but I think the line goes back pretty far. Uh, a lot of doodlers, a lot of like, you know, sort of um, at least somewhat artistic, but no fine artists, no illustrators, none at all. Was there was there any sort of creativity in the house when you were growing up as far as your parents involved? Were they, were they, were they was it something that they, um, you know, sort of pushed on you in any way? Did you, you know? No. No, it wasn't anything. They were always really supportive. I mean, it, the weird thing about it, I always try to tell, explain about my parents is they are small town people. Uh, my, you know, my, when I was a kid, my dad was a welder. My mom worked at Kmart. Uh, I'm as blue collar as they come. Neither of my parents have college educations. You know, my grandfather was a World War II vet who um, was a freelance carpenter his entire life. Uh, so, like, there was, you know, there was no sort of history of art, art in my family whatsoever. But when we got into it, my parents were super supportive. Uh, like, partially, I think it's because it kept us busy. So, like, I, they, you know, my parents had three kids. Uh, they were lower middle class. Uh, they worked all the time. And so, like, for us to have something to do where they could just drop us a stack of paper, I think it was a godsend. My mom used to, um, when she was working at Kmart, she would take all the reports, you know. They would, like, print out the nightly reports. And they were on, like, that lined paper with uh, – with the old printer things on yeah, the, the holes, the perforated holes on the sides. She would bring those home and we would just draw on them. We'd like draw on them and then flip it. And then and it was all connected because it was like these big reams of paper. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's funny. My, uh, one of my best friend growing up, his mom, I'm not sure where she worked, but she would bring those same giant stacks, reams of paper home. Yeah. We would do the same thing. We would we would draw on them all the time, and and never ending. <laughs> yeah, it was like a never ending. It was great because you could make comics then, right? Then, then you could you could do like a twenty page comic, and it would be connected. You could like draw on it, fold it out. So we were always doing that. And so I have two brothers. Um, we're only you know two, Steve and I are two years apart. Brad and I are four. So like at various times we were pretty close in age and close enough to like sit around and draw together, you know, and tell stories together. And then we sort of we got into comics all at the same time. So we would sit around and draw comics together and we kind of created like, you know, a fucking six year old kid comic book universe. Uh, and so like we would tell these stories together. And so, um, you know, I think that that was the, the impetus, the sort of beginning thing, but I didn't ever think about it. You know, again, I lived in a small town. My first comic convention wasn't until I was 13. I didn't really understand how comics were made. I didn't know, you know, that, writing and drawing and all these sort of different, uh, I didn't know what an inker was until I was in my late teens, you know? Um, so, so we did, I, I guess I, I knew that it involved drawing. I never really thought about writing. I just knew that I liked to make stuff up. Right. And so now, what, what do you think was the, what, you know, as I kind of go back to, 
you know, I, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. You grew up in Wisconsin, Midwestern, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, I grew up in the seventies and eighties. Um, and there wasn't, you know, 9 million channels of television and on-demand videos and video games and music at your fingertips and that kind of thing. And a lot of my childhood was like overcoming boredom, right? Like there wasn't that much stuff to do. It was like, ride your bike. We had literally two channels because I lived in the country and we didn't have good reception. So we had ABC and CBS every once in a while you got public television. Uh, and so, you know, yes, we had very little to do. I didn't, the neighbor kids were either too old and they were like fighting each other with BB guns or they were like really young. So like it was really so much of my life was just me and my brothers. Um, and so we kind of created that little, this little world of like cartoons and comic books and action figures, which, you know, is probably why I've still got that stuff around. But, um, but and we should mention your brother, Steve is an artist as well. He's a, yeah, and he's also written some comics. Uh, he's, He's not as much of a drawer, uh, really, but my brother Brad is a history teacher who also draws. So, like, it's definitely sort of part of our of our current DNA, uh, you know, going back that far. But I guess the, you know, around that time, it was sort of like we were just making stuff up without a knowledge that that writing was part of what we were doing. Um, but so over like high school, I got really into the sort of the art side of it, um, and so I never thought of myself as a writer. Then it was always just sort of like. I was learning art. I was learning how to draw. I was taking as many classes as I could. That continues to like early college. And so it was really all about like, you know, I wanted to be a comic book artist. I wanted to be, you know. How early did you know that? How early did you know I want to do this for a living? So at, when I was in fourth grade, 10 years old, I wrote a letter to Marvel uh, that's asked because we had an assignment class about doing a report about what you want to be when you grow up. So I was 10. I wrote it to Marvel. Uh, the, I sent a sample of a Guardians of the Galaxy comic I had drawn. Uh, Mark Powers, the editor, he was at the time an intern. He would go on to become the editor of X-Men um, and then later work at Devil's Due with me, so that's weird. But <laughs> when I was 10 years old, he got my letter. I asked a bunch of questions how it worked. Um, he sent me back how comic book artists work. Like He explained freelancing to me. He explained... Um, you know, royalties, he explained page rates, all this stuff. He, it was years, did he not know you were 10? <laughs> he did. He absolutely knew I was 10, and he treated me <laughs> like I was 10. Uh, but it's an amazing letter. I still I still own it. Oh, that's true. Uh, and it, it, but he so explained everything to me, and I, so I had an understanding of what that meant. Um, I didn't know that they were drawn 11 by 17. I didn't know any of that stuff. I did know just basically that, you know, I, sh I needed to get better at drawing. Um, and now, so, you know, that was my focus. Like, I, I wanted to be... Todd McFarlane, I want, I was, you know, when I was 10, 11 years old, they, you know, McFarlane was on Spider-Man, uh, Jim Lee was on Punisher at the time, but then later uh, X-Men, all these guys, all these artists were coming up that I, they were superhero comics artists, and I was the right age, I was the perfect kid in 1988, in 1989, 1990, for that stuff, like, so it hit me so hard, <laughs> and that was it was really art driven. So I, I think I, you know, I didn't think about anything else about it, but that these are the people who drew stuff. Uh, so that was like the, you know, the thing that kind of kept me going all through high school, early college. Um, what was that like in high school? You know, I, I wonder, you know, 
you talked about how you and your brother you you would create these worlds you were you were trying to become an artist you were learning how to be an artist you were probably very focused on that what was high school like for you and 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 the the angle that i'm coming at this from with this question is is more about how did you perceive high school and other people uh because a lot of times when I talk to artists, creators, people that are very creative, high school can be a difficult thing because it's not a lot of times. And that being creative is something that isn't necessarily, I mean, I'm sure it is now maybe more so than it was then, but yeah. in the 1980s, I don't know if being creative, being an artist, being able to draw was necessarily something that was um, nurtured in high school in, in, in uh, rural Wisconsin. So what was that? sort of like yeah, it's funny i mean I, you know i would i talk about now about how a lot of sort of like really bitter people who kind of end up going like hardcore conspiracy everything's against me they had shit time in high school and they didn't get laid i did not have that experience uh, <laughs> and probably the reason i'm still sort of a happy you know mellow dude is like i got laid in high school so um but i didn't have that experience i i think partially um I'm not, I don't know exactly what it was, but I very early, and I guess I, I'm not even like a big capitalist, but I was always pretty good at business. And very early, I realized I could do something that not a lot of people in my town could do. Um, I could draw, I could paint. And so I started a business when I was uh, uh, 13 years old, 14 years old, where I would paint on the back of jean jackets and leather jackets. Now, I'm in central Wisconsin, okay? Uh, it is the 80s. It is late 80s, early 90s. And... You wouldn't believe the business I could have painting <laughs> ugly kid Joe and fucking um, master puppets on the back of Jack. Well, I can imagine. I just wish I would have had that idea. That's you were an early tattoo artist. You were you were the town tattoo artist for teenagers. I would charge like forty bucks, and all these like metal heads. You know, we would call them dirts. That's what we call them in my town. Dirts? That's what you guys call them. Dirts and uh, but they would. I, and so I was cool with those guys, you know, like they love me. I would draw their fucking, their, you know, <laughs> I, I, I remember very distinctly doing the ugly kid jail one for Fulci. <laughs> I'll never forget. Um, but anyway, so like, so that afforded me, you know, a connection to those people. So in a weird way where I think a lot of people felt like being creative or doing art stuff, pushed them away from those people. It got me in. Uh, so I, you know, I used to get to go to parties. I used to, I did all that shit because I could draw and, Everyone was like, you know, Seeley, he's the guy that he does the comics. Like, it, I had none of those things. And I, I you know, my brother either. Uh, we, we both sort of escaped <laughs> that, you know, like the nerd stuff, I guess. I mean, and I, I wasn't there. I, I definitely was, but it did not. I don't know. I didn't have that. You know, and I, I, I met Craig Thompson, the cartoonist, who was from the same town as me, basically. Um you know, same area. He lived in a slightly different town. I met him when I was 18. Uh, and, you know, we were from the same area. Craig Thompson went on to do blankets, all these, you know, great cartoons, Habibi, all that stuff. Uh, I, and I talked to him and he was just like, oh man, this is so hard. I'm so miserable. I leave this town. I was like, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, it was awful. I hard. Yeah, dude, it's so hard. Well, it's refreshing to hear because I, I, over the last couple of years when we came back to do the podcast, I've talked over and over again how it seems like 
most people that make things nowadays, whether it's in Hollywood, whether you're making movies, whether they're writing books, making comics, they all had really shitty childhoods because everyone's stories are about how shitty their parents were or how bad their hometowns were. You know, it's like everything is about that. It's like, wow, I, I had a great childhood. I, I, you know, like I had a terrific. It's, I, I feel like sometimes it can impact your creativity because you aren't angry. I think there's a lot of sort of, you know, I mean, my, my town is not great. It had problems and it had racism and it had a lot of things that, you know, problems. I mean, but like every town, every town has problems. There's absolutely. no, there's no idle, you know, idyllic perfect town. But for me, it wasn't cruel. It wasn't, you know, I just didn't have, I don't know. I mean, yeah, and I didn't necessarily mean that so much the sort of cliche, you know, nerd, nerd sort of getting picked on in high school as much as I meant. For me personally, like, I was very much in the same boat to some degree. I wanted to be a comic book artist when I was probably, I, I came to that realization probably 12, 13 years old. Like, I, this is what I want to do. I could always draw. I was always pretty good at it. Um, but, say, and like you had said, I didn't have any knowledge of how it worked yeah and like the resources that i had for art were terrible right you know what i mean like no one you know no one you know you had said your parents were very supportive of it but like my parents didn't quite understand it and and, and didn't certainly you know not that they uh dissuaded me from doing it but they didn't necessarily push me in that direction or or, or that kind of thing but like the high school art classes were a joke. You know, they were terrible. And, I mean, like, from my experience was I had really good teachers with really very little ass, uh, assets to share with me, like very little access to anything beyond, you know, like I, I had a really great, and I actually, and to, to sort of add to my high school experience was, I feel like looking back at it now, you know, I was, I, I think I kind of was like, you know what, fuck this. This is, and I didn't take advantage of the education I could have, or the teachers who were actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, and I think I squandered probably about two years there. One because I was having fun in high school, and then, um, <laughs> but also because I, I think I didn't. I felt like my teachers couldn't teach me. They they didn't know anything about comics, which, you know, maybe they didn't, but they would have. I think I had this. I had Mr. Robertson, and Mr. O'Connor, who were two dudes who would absolutely have helped me out if I had not been such a shit. And I was a shit. <laughs> God, I have a I have a history teacher from high school that I wish I could go back and find him and apologize because looking back he was a great teacher. Like he tried his best to make history entertaining to a bunch of 15-year-olds. Yeah. I was any he, he tried his best to get me interested because I think he acknowledge or realize that I had a bit of a brain. Yeah, right. I just was in no, like, I was not ready to accept his lessons at that time in my life. <laughs> I mean, and that's the thing is, I think, you know, a, a big part of, I don't know, maybe sort of like how I later, if I had had a better understanding when I was in high school of how these things worked, right, let someone help me, it probably wouldn't take me to college until I was like, whoa, wait a second. And I, I probably would have come around to writing things earlier, I think. Um, but I kind of fucked off. You know, I wasn't a great high school student. Like, my grades in high school are like, eh, they're okay. Mm -hmm. um, it's not until college where I was like, oh, I should take this shit seriously. And then I think I overcompensated somewhat and it was kind of like, 
uh, meticulous and, and uh, annoyingly studious, you know, because I cared. All of a sudden I cared. What, I, that, what changed, what changed in you to that? Why, why did that change happen? I mean, the big part of it is I think when I went to college and I suddenly saw like, I don't like people who were good one, you know, that like competition, you weren't, you weren't really just the, the you best know, or the only one in your town doing it. Right. Yeah. And, and the other, I think that was part of it. And also like my teachers were really cool. And, uh, I, I just do Tom Fleming as do Dick Dale as do Derek fish. They, they were all amazing people. Um, and they really sort of like, they were mean to me, I guess. My high school teachers were sort of like, uh, yeah, okay, you should try, but all right. And, and, and because they're high school teachers and they have too much shit to deal with. But my college professors when I first went to college were like, you are fucking off. Stop wasting your time. You know, I was like, I think I might major in business and minor in art. And they were like, fucking, you're an idiot. Do not do that. And they, <laughs> they were just really like, uh, really sort of set me on a path, which I think, you know, I owe those guys big time. And they also understood comics, right? Like, so, you know, my teacher, Tom, his old roommate was um, a cartoonist. Um, my teacher, Derek, was super into like Barry, Bernie Wrightson. And like, suddenly I had people who, you know, understood what I was into. I think, you know, I had my, my high school teachers, God bless them, were just like, yeah, I think this is all just like, and, and probably I was bringing them like fucking X-Force One or something. And they're like, yeah, this is terrible. But but those those college professors, they knew something about comics. They knew how to direct me. And they sort of, you know, opened my mind up to cartoonists, which was the definition I use to that of this day is that sort of idea of people People make comics, they write and draw them, right? The Daniel Clauses, the Robert Crumb, the, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, they're not they're not doing this sort of factory Marvel DC thing where there's do different duties, right? They, they, they're they a whole package, right? They make everything. And so they were turning me on to some of that stuff. Like, they, you know, I got really into Daniel Clowes. I, I got really into um, uh, going back and looking up Eisner and, like, stuff like that. And I think that made me understand that writing and drawing could be the same thing, right? Um, that I could, that's good. Uh, but that, that, like that, you know, so I started doing a college strip uh, in the school newspaper and it was a challenge to myself. I volunteered to do it. I said, I'll do this strip. So every week I had to do like a six, pan, a four to six panel strip. Um, and, and this was, was for, like, like a cartoon, like a, newspaper yeah so and i approached it like i'm a cartoonist now right I, i'm i'm writing these things and so i did a strip called big small town and by every friday morning i had to turn in no wait that's when it's printed by every wednesday night i had to turn in a strip so yes every wednesday night i turn in a strip right so and it, like it was just you know i had to do it for 15 weeks of the semester and i guess that, that was the biggest education I got probably in the first two years of college because I had to write something. I had to come up with some shit. And I realized the thing, uh, and by the way, Craig Thompson had done the strip for that paper before I did. So so this was a college newspaper who had two professional cartoonists come out of it in two years, uh, <laughs> which not bad, right? Pretty good. Uh, but so I, I learned this thing, which was, and, and it's like one of the biggest lessons I, I've ever had, and I try to pass this on to everyone. Um, what I think of may not be perfect, but I will think of something. And so that was, that had become the way I approach cartooning to this day, where I approach writing. 
you know, there is a deadline and by that time I must have a thing. And that might not be the greatest thing, but it will always be a thing. It will be done. It will exist. And that is better than not existing at all. So, <laughs> so the strip, you know, I mean, I did two semesters of it and I, I feel pretty good about it. I collected them uh, and sold it at Comic-Cons that summer. Like, it's solid. It's not as good as Craig's strip by any stretch, <laughs> but, you know, it's pretty good. And I learned everything and I kind of realized that making stuff up as a cartoonist meant you could, you know, write something. Well, let me ask you, this, so this is, this goes to really what, uh, this whole series of interviews that I want to do is about, uh, is sort of, you know, how do you get over the idea? Because I think that's a very common thing for writers, for, for people that create stories, storytellers, whatever it may be. Sure. Um, the idea of I might, you know, I this isn't good enough to put it in the world. This I have to wait until it's the great American novel or the next great Watchmen, you know, Watchmen comic or whatever it may be. You have to. It has to be perfect before I can put this into the world. And I think that's myself included. I think that's a huge part of my problem of of not ever getting anything really accomplished. How did you? get to that point with this strip was it simply listen here's the deadline this is the first week and wednesday's approaching and i have to do this what what led to you like sort of having that moment of clarity or like i just have to get it done was it simply the deadline looming was it simply or was it something because to me i think it really speaks to sort of like an insecurity and being able to to overcome that insecurity of like I can't how do I put this out into the world and think it's not perfect you know and that that yeah. insecurity of letting that go well a big thing for me personally that helped me get there was um in early, late in high school and then early in college I also got kind of big into comedy like stand up and you know comedians and uh of, of different types and just, you know, I would watch all kinds of different comedians, old comedians, new comedians. But one thing I sort of really appreciated was improv, uh, which, you know, I, I would go see sometimes early, you know, I was 18, 19, 20 years old and see comedy stuff. And when I started seeing improv occasionally, and I think at one point we came down to Chicago and I saw some improv. Um, but what I started to understand was that, you know, when you, when you see an improv show, they go in there with the tools, right? They know they know things about comedy. They know how jokes work. They know structure. But they don't have anything before them except for each other. And they just riff. And if you were afraid to make something perfect, you couldn't improv, right? Because it it might not be. But what makes it great is that you improv it. The, the joy is that, holy shit, this came out. This just came out of these people. They are so talented. They are so funny. They are so clever. Holy shit, they just made that up with using the name from someone in the audience. Right. Right. So what I started to think about cartooning as, and I still do to this day in comics in general, and Kirby knew this, it's improv, right? It is not scripted sketch comedy. It is improv. Every month you must come up with a thing, right? Same <laughs> as I had to come up with this strip. Uh, same as a com uh, improv comedian has to come up with a joke. Uh, and you have the elements that are around you and you must put them together and you are well-trained and you are intelligent and you are working with competent people. And so boom, you will make a thing. 
is a perfect no, but it exists and it might be brilliant. And so, so I think that really helped sort of cement a lot of what I was thinking about. The other part of that being live music, um, I think comics is more like a live punk show or like a live rap battle, like a hip hop improv, you know, sort of like a free freestyle. It is more like those things uh, than it is writing a great American novel. Uh, and I have you know, no problem with writers that want to do that, but I am not that writer. Uh, and I think that really <laughs> sort of using all those things and putting it in, doing a strip and never missing a deadline and making some pretty good ones and some okay ones, but they all exist, you know, that's the sort of training that, and that was, you know, I was 18, 19 years old that allowed me to sort of move on to other stuff. By the time I was 21, I got an internship at Marvel Comics. Uh, and so I got my internship at, uh, in the Spider-Man office. I had to go move to New York for a summer. Uh, I worked with Ralph Macchio and this dude, Matt Hicks, uh, and, I met a bunch of other creatives. Now I went there, I applied for the art internship at Marvel and I didn't get it. I was fucking heartbroken. I, I applied for this. They said it was like a, you know, artistic uh, internship, Marvel comics. I did the interview. I get a call from them. They said, I'm sorry, we didn't how, go with you. How did you even find out about that? how did you know that that even? I was at Eau Claire, University of Wisconsin, Eau Claire, and they had this directory of internships. And I looked through it. I applied for Tribeca Films, which was Robert De Niro's production company. I applied for um, Kitchen Sink Comics in Seattle. And I applied for Marvel. And I, I got accepted at all three. Or wait, I got accepted at two. But I got turned down by Marvel. Okay? And so I was heartbroken. So I'm like, fuck it. I'll go to Seattle. I'll do Kitchen Sink. Uh, then I get a call. There was no, there was no Tribeca. Tribeca wasn't in there at all. <laughs> I, I realized it wasn't a film guy. I tried it because it sounded cool, but then I was like, well, I'll take cartooning, I guess, over over film. Right. So then I get a call. I get Then I get this weird call from Marvel again. And it's the editorial department. And the guy, it was Matt Hicks, and he said, um, look, I think you applied for that art internship because you thought it would be about drawing. And he said, just so you know, that's for the bullpen and it's production. And he said, I think what you really wanted was editorial which was an amazing thing for Matt Hicks to do. Right. So, so he said, I just want to ask you a couple questions because I had sent in art with my application and he would ask me a couple questions about storytelling. He asked me a bunch of questions about Spider-Man and as a kid, Spider-Man was my favorite character. Again, like I said, first comic I've read. And so I got them all right, <laughs> I guess. And so they invited me to do the editorial internship at Marvel. So I get to go to fucking New York, work in the Spider-Man office when I was 21 years old. Uh, and it was counted for college. It was like a credit credited thing. Um, but then I was I was surrounded by like people from all. I'm from fucking central Wisconsin. <laughs> I've got you know kids from LA and kids from New York and kids from Europe and and you know really talented uh, people. And so, but then I also saw how things were made. Right? It was it was the sausage factory. Like my jobs at Marvel was like. You know, art would come in, and I'd open a box and smell like cigar smoke, or I would see like <laughs> Ralph Macchio like have to talk an artist out of like committing suicide, or like it was like <laughs> and, and uh, down and dirty. The, the it was amazing, and, and they were going through a bankruptcy at the time. Um, they were suing artists for money. 
at the end of the summer, they announced this the Sony deal that's that Sony had picked up the rights to Spider Man. It was a very weird time. Uh, What's going through your head? I mean, okay, because I can only relate to this in in a, a little bit of a way because it, it feels like when we first started doing the podcast and we started to get to know comic book creators and start to see behind the scenes and and you know it could, like you said it's the sausage factory it's like you you're seeing things that maybe you don't want to see <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely so you're a comic book fan this is what your dream you've wanted to do this since you were you know six years old or whatever and now you're kind of seeing the ugly underbelly what what effect did that have on you what what, what was going through your head then it was the it was the ugly underbelly to some degree, but it was also like all the cool shit. Like um, very early on, I had to uh, I got a script from Paul Jenkins um, that he was doing a tales from it was called Web Spinners with like a tales from Spider Man kind of thing, and it was like this most beautiful script. It was so funny. It was written directly to the artist. It was like the first time I had seen a comic script, right? Because this is 1999 and there's no internet right database of scripts or whatever. And then I, that made me really intimidated. I also saw, I saw Claremont scripts. They were huge and beautiful. Um, you know, I saw like also the great things. I saw like, you know, jam sessions where they would get, uh, at the time, Michael Golden and Chris Claremont and, and John Byrne and people like come in and come up with ideas for events and covers. Joe Quesada was working there in event comics. Jimmy was working there. Um, so I saw all the cool stuff. I guess the real resource of that job was the other interns. Uh, Cause we, you know, we were each working in different offices and we um, would get together at lunch. Uh, we would all eat lunch. If we didn't go out, we would all eat in the event comics office, which was Jimmy Calmiati's office. Cause he had the comp box and he would let us go through it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I met this dude, Brandon Hay uh, there. And Brandon was um, a New York kid. He was from Long Island and he was the first writer I met, like real fucking writer. And he, you know, I'm talking to this guy and he's like, yeah, I, for class I wrote, he was like going to NYU and he, he had written like five screenplays and he had a stack of comic scripts he'd written. And that was the first, I was like, okay, I'm a cartoonist, right? I can write out how I want to do a comic, but it's not writing. I was like, this is a writer, right? And, and cause I had seen those, that Paul Jenkins script, and I had seen Chris Claremont script. Then I was like, I need to work with someone. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I thought I could do this. I need someone to write, and I'll just draw because I don't. I can come up with ideas, but uh, I, I just, you know. Then I turned to Brendan and was like, Let's collaborate. Let me ask you this: at that, so at that point, were you? What was your thinking? Was your thinking, Hey, I want to go and work for Marvel. I want to go and work for DC. I want to work on these characters, or I want to make my own comics. Uh, you know, what was your sort of game plan at that point? It's a good question because I feel like I was probably really conflicted at that time. One, I mean, at the time I was like, I got this interest in Marvel, but at the time I hadn't read a Marvel comic in probably two years, maybe, uh, because I was sort of go, I was super into like, you know, indie stuff, and I was reading all these like, you know, uh, Eight Ball and Scud the Disposable Assassin and and like Mouse and uh, and and Peter Briggs Hate and and like. In college, I wasn't as into the superhero stuff as I had been, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and so I. And it's also that time in history where 
there's so much indie stuff coming out. And Marvel DC books were not great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, at the sort of the end of the '90s, like there was some good, good, some good shit did absolutely come out. I mean, I remember I did get like the Deadpool series when Joe Kelly put it out with Ed McGuinness, but and and I had there was stuff I had picked up, but there was a lot of like just sort of like reeling from the post-image sort of implosion. I mean, comics were not in a good place in 1999, like or 1997 to 99. It was like a fucking shit show, right? Uh, and that that's well documented. So I wasn't as into. I mean, I was, you know, I, I did read, you know, some stuff and all the image books. I was super into image stuff, but I wasn't as into that stuff. So I don't. I, th I think I was in a weird transition of what I wanted to do. My aesthetic was definitely more indie, I guess. Um, I think my dream at the time. I mean, I, if you would have asked me before I got the internship, I would have said, "Oh, I want to be like a cartoonist. I want to do like fucking." you know, like my own black and white book or I don't know. That's why I probably would have told you. Um, but then I'm working at Marvel. So I'm like, I got to fucking take advantage of this shit. So right. I was really doing more drawing. I did, um, you know, they needed a fill in thing. So I did three pages as a test for an issue of Spider-Man because maybe they would take me and they didn't. But like, I was, I guess that's where I was thinking. Like I got to take advantage of the fact that Marvel invited opportunity me to presents itself. So you should, you know, yeah. So I think I was that was probably more where I was in that headspace, I think. Um, but that is also so, you know, then I'm talking to Brendan all the time, and I had a nugget of an idea that was kind of combine a bunch of things I liked, which was um, I, I one day walking home from my job at Burger King before I got the internship, I had come up with this name, uh, Love Bunny and Mr. Hell. And it was just like, it just stuck in my head, like, and I'm a little bit OCD, so it was just rolling around in my head, like, just, I, I couldn't sleep, the stupid name was rolling around my head. And so I started just writing on ideas, and this was, like, you know, 1998 or something, um, and I had just, like, piles of ideas and sketches, and, and I kind of came up with this character, Love Bunny, who was a, you know, and I guess I was synthesizing everything I was into at the time. It was a very indie, sort of funny comic. But the main character, I, she looked like a 90s bad girl, and her partner was a big demon. So Love Bunny was like this sort of vampirella bunny ear character with like leather straps and shit. And Mr. Hell was a big demon. And the joke, the idea was that the super heroine was always the sidekick. And finally she decides to go on her own. And so and the only person she gets to be her partner is this demon named Mr. Hell who eats everything. That was the shtick. <laughs> so, I, so I had sketches. I had all these ideas. And one day, um, you know, I'm... I'm watching Brendan do his thing, his, his like trained fucking film student screenplay approach to things. And, and I, I told him this idea uh, and I was like, I kind of feel like I need a writer. I don't, I don't really know what it is. I just know that I like the name and I like the idea of the characters. And I think it's funny. And then he came back the next day with this, like a million ideas. Like he's like, Oh, and they're tied together like this and they do this. And, and, and so I was like, fuck, okay, you're a writer. You're a real writer. I will just draw. Clearly, that's my uh, lot in life. So uh, Brendan wrote a full script for issue one, uh, and it was fucking amazing. And, you know, I, I started drawing at it while I was going, working at Marvel. I got back that semester. I drew a bunch of pages for it. Um, I actually left. I had to leave early from my internship because I didn't know I was lactose intolerant at the time. And uh, I was eating poorly because I was a – a 21 year old college student in New York and I ate like street pizza and dirty water dogs every day, you know? <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I got like extremely like sick. I like lost like 20 pounds. I just fucking, I don't know what happened, but I had to go home early, which sucked. 
But for three weeks before school started, I was living with my girlfriend's time, and I just drew this comic. I drew 22 pages uh, of Brendan's script. And then uh, I started, like, you know, thinking, okay, this is what I'll do. I'll use this in my samples. And I'll, I'll show this around. I, I presented that comic as my, um, my final project for my last semester because um, I did four and a half years because I fucked around. But uh, and then, uh, but I did. Then I went to um, uh, Minneapolis Falcon, which I don't know if you've ever been to that show, but it's a it's a pretty great little convention. I was in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, which is about an hour and a half from uh, Minneapolis. So I, you know, I I grabbed dropped in my crappy car in mid October, drive to um, to uh, Minneapolis. I go to this convention, and I'm showing my comic around uh, to people. Like trying to get some, you know, in, input and feedback. So I talked to Frank Cho. I remember I talked to um, Dan Raspler from uh, DC Comics. He was there, uh, you know. And so I was getting decent input from my art stuff. Pretty good. Uh, Raspler gave me his business card and stuff. Um, but I, I at some point was showed my art. I, I've been reading Replacement God by Xander Cannon. It just come out from Image at the time, but Xander had been doing it freelance before and uh or i mean independently before and so i saw xander cannon i was like oh shit i love this guy's cartoon i'm gonna have him critique my book you know so i give him all these pages from love buddy mr hell and he's looking at it and he's like yeah it's pretty good i don't know man there's something about this character love bunny he's like i don't know she looks like a like a snm goddess or like something like that he's like her name is love buddy like shouldn't she be kind of pink and funny and fluffy and wouldn't that make her contrast better with Mr. Hell? And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> it, it suddenly changed everything about what I was doing. I, I realized, like, I was just drawing Lebony in, you know, fucking leather straps and shit because I'm a pervert, right? Like, so I, it, didn't, it didn't serve the story. And I think Brendan was going to work with whatever I had given him, but he knew it too. Uh, and I kind of felt like then this whole script that we had, that Brendan had written with a, with some ideas I'd given him, it didn't quite work because I had given him a bad design, right? I, I had done something that didn't quite work and I knew it and I think he knew it and the comic wasn't right, right? The character wasn't right more than anything, I think. Um, it just, it was I, incongruous. I was ask you, um, with, you know, with, with him giving you that script off of your idea, and you sort of, you know, going through it and, and then drawing the pages based on it. What was that process? Do you, if you remember, what was that like? You know, sort of the first time seeing something you had created. It was from your imagination, and then someone else. That collaboration of someone else, you know, writing a full script and sort of fleshing it out and 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 putting their own ideas into it uh, for you to then work off of. What was that? You know, was that sort of the first time that had really you had had that sort of collaboration? It was absolutely the first time I'd I'd worked from a script. Uh, it was the first time I had like tried to do something that professionally. Like I drew an eleven by seventeen board, I inked it, I did all the shit that I had not really done before. I was penciling stuff, and I you know. But uh, you learned you had picked all that up as an intern, right? Like working. Yeah, from like I knew how shit worked. You know, now I knew what pages looked like. I knew. You know, I'd seen all kinds of different artists. I'd seen everything from Bart Sears to 
John Romita Jr. I, I knew what Steph looked like. Um, you know, I knew the scale. I knew how to do all that shit. So, yeah, it was really the first time I knew what a script looked like. But I think I was so high on how fun it was to work with Brendan, like, that I, I guess I kind of, I, I was able to just sort of, like, step away from the the thing and be like, you know what? This this works. I'm not going to question anything. I didn't question my own input. I think I didn't question that. I think I had kind of gotten so hung up on visuals that I didn't, you know, because I was thinking of as an artist. I was thinking as I'm a comic book artist. I didn't think of myself, you know, character design or all that shit. I was just I just wasn't thinking about it. So I think I kind of stumbled a lot then with the comic as it was. Like I was like, oh, I, I want to redraw this. I, I want to do all this sort of stuff. I had an entire comic and I was like, I just didn't, it didn't feel right. Um, and so, you know, I kind of sat on that for a while and I, I did. Then when I got out of uh, college, I got a job actually at a small publisher in Minneapolis called Dead Dog Comics. And it was mostly just me um, drawing stuff. They, you know, this dude, uh, Chaz, who owned the company, he would write a script and I would draw, I drew like three issues. I didn't do a lot of sort of writing really. Maybe I did some scripting or something, but um, but I was I was kind of happy just to draw, right? Because I was like, oh, I'm a comic book artist. That's what I do. I'm a penciler. And I, I was working daytime. My day job was working at a children's book company. I was staff illustrator. You know, I was not writing anything. I was just getting instructions on how to illustrate, what, what to illustrate. So I was very much in that mode. So I didn't do uh, really any writing um, besides, you know, I was starting to tinker with Blood Bunny again. <laughs> so I kind of went back and I was like, okay, if I'm, if Xander is right, and I believe he is, then what parts of this? Yeah, go ahead. One second, because I wanted to bring, I wanted to go back to that, the, the idea of, of, of Xander Cannon's sort of commentary and how it kind of blew apart your whole idea of, of this book, of this, yeah. these characters. What was it about that? that sort of sparked uh so, you know some sort of knowledge of like oh he's right you know what he's what he's telling me makes sense what was it about that comment i i kind of understand just from what you said but if you could sort of expand on that i'd really be interested on like you know his idea of the contrast between the two characters yeah not really the the sort of uh the gem of it there that that really made you rethink it yeah, I think it was because I, if I really think about it, I think what bothered me suddenly was I realized I had been thinking only visually. I'd been thinking only sort of like what I wanted to draw, which wasn't serving the story with a capital S. It wasn't serving the characters, right? It was serving what I wanted to draw. And I think at the time, I think I kind of realized that's not something I had done when I was doing those comic strips for the paper, right? Like everything I had done there served the thing because I was doing both. And I think to some degree, I sort of recognized in sort of backing away, um, I had leaned too far on my, that I'm an artist, that I'm a drawer. I, I wasn't leaning on the fact that I kind of grew up making both things, I think. Um, and, you know, and I'm fine, I think. If someone gives me a script that says draw it, and when I was working for Dead Dog, or I did some work for Avatar, uh, drawing like booby books and stuff and like while I was working at the children's book company, but that those first couple of years out of college and I'm fine with just drawing a script. Like you give me some characters, you get, you know, that a Pandora or whatever and here, draw this. I'm like, that's fine. No problem. 
I, I can do that. And I did realize I could do that. But I think with the love money thing is I realized that it bothered me that I hadn't thought this through story-wise, right? That I had thought it through visually. Um, and I felt like the only way to fix that was I had to write a new script. <laughs> and I had to do it myself, uh, which, you know, I, I actually, you know, and Brendan and I are still friends to this day. And every time I go to L.A., we always get a beer and, and we still collaborate on things. But I always kind of felt bad about that. But I knew also that, like, I wasn't able to communicate this unless I was, like, going by, okay, I can't just think visually. I have to think, what is the story? What is this about? Who are these people? Uh, and I, I had to do it, I think, you know, this was the first time I sat down and wrote a script, which I used to just draw things out. I used to do like the Kirby way. I would just draw all the panels and I would go back and write the dialogue with, you know, that sort of Marvel yeah, method. Marvel method. Yeah. And this time I was like, I'm going to sit down and write this script. Uh, and that was the first script I wrote was the, that I sat down and wrote a script for, for a 22 page comic was love buddy, Mr. Hell. Number one, uh, the sort of revised edition using the ideas, but also like taking, this less sort of like femme fatale, bad girl comic thing. Um, and you know, th that was my idea. That was not Brendan, but I, taking that out because I had not considered it all the way through. Um, so it's interesting. It was really interesting to me that, you know, one like that, you know, that idea, you know, at this point had hung with you it had stuck in your craw and you weren't done with it. Like you had, you had done the 22 pages it, but you knew that there was something more you wanted to do with it. But, you know, it's interesting that you, you know, you chose to to not go back to Brendan and say, listen, this is what I think maybe we should. What, what was that decision like? And you, I know you touched on it a little bit, but it, but it interests me what that decision, you know, how long did you sort of throw that back and forth? Was there any idea or was there any thought put into like, well, maybe I could just go to Brendan and go, listen, maybe we could rewrite this. Or was it right away? You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna write this myself because I I kind of understand how it needs to be fixed. Yeah, I mean, we definitely talked about um, you know we I just got my first email address at that time. Brennan and I talked all the time. We were working on some other things, but he got he got really busy. He got a job as an intern on the Daily Show, and then he got hired on the Daily Show. So like, what? Yeah. <laughs> he worked on the Daily Show for a long time. Oh wow, that's crazy. He's currently uh, he show runs the Gremlins TV show for DreamWorks and stuff. So, oh, he's a writer on that stuff. So you know he, he's a big deal. That guy, <laughs> he ended up okay. Yeah. So, the, not not going back and rewriting yeah. Love Bunny and Mr. Hell did not yeah. did not ruin his career. <laughs> Probably <laughs> saved it actually. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have that credit. It might have. <laughs> but I mean, I you know. When I first started with Devil's Do, we hired him. He, he was a, our editorial page writer. You know, he did later write some Love Bunny Mystery Health stuff with me. We did a, a one-shot thing together. So, um, you know, again, we were totally good. It was just that one exercise of, like, to know these characters the way I think I have to I have to go into this and, and, and do it. And I, I really loved it. I loved sitting down and writing a script. I, I, what I, and what I would do then was I would write a script. I would draw it, then I would letter it myself. I, I used Adobe Illustrator. I learned how to use all those programs in school, and I was using it uh, at the children's book company. So I lettered the whole thing myself. I could change dialogue while I was sort of lettering my own book. 
Um, and that book came out through Devil's Due, and then issue two and three came out through Image. So, um, so it, it's a thing that exists. I, the third issue, I did a crossover with Savage Dragon uh, called Savage Love. Uh, so that was pretty cool. I was like 24 years old or whatever, 23. I got to do that. Um, but And then that character served. It wasn't a huge success, and I also think, you know, uh, it was it was successful enough, but it was there wasn't a lot of market for superheroes that weren't Marvel and DC at the time. There still isn't, but um, then there really wasn't. It was like 2001, and, and it just wasn't. So I kind of used the template, though, to some degree of like the girl and the monster. Hackslash. Yeah. So, so um, you know, and Hackslash is less funny than Love and Michelle was like just pure comedy. But, um, but I mean, I think I, you know, that. That gave me the confidence then, you know, when I was working at Devil's Due then, um, I did three Lovely Mr. Hell books, and I was drawing G.I. Joe at the time and Dungeons and & Dragons, all that sort of stuff. And at some point when I came up with Hackslash, I, I had that initial impulse. You know what? I should get someone else to do this. I should draw it. So I called Robert Kirkman, and I was like, hey, can you write this for me? And he was like, yeah, sure. And then he got hired by Marvel to do Marvel team up and a couple other things. He's like, yeah, I don't think I can do it. I've got my walking dead book is heating up. I can't do this shit. <laughs> so, uh, so he backed out and then I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I learned my lesson. I'll just write it myself, man. You yeah. might've dodged a bullet there. Cause if, if, if he wrote it and you know, who knows <laughs> a fucking AMC series, but I mean, Jesus, <laughs> I didn't dodge a bullet. I fucking, put my face in the bullet. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, let's go back to the to the script and you rewriting it. What was that process like? I mean, you had an understanding or you felt like you had an understanding of what needed to change for these characters based on on, you know, the conversation with Xander Cannon and and just your own like acknowledgement of like, oh, this isn't this isn't I'm not really writing this for the characters. I'm not really developing characters or story for this. Um, so what were some of the things other than, you know, visually what she looked like, were there other things in the script that you changed about the story, about the characters to sort of, uh, you know, express what you wanted to express with that book? Yeah. I mean, the thing, the main thing I changed, um, was that I made her a freelancer. Uh, so it was, so the original idea was sort of like, you know, it was more sort of like she was a superhero and, and she was, we didn't really get into like how she made her living or anything like that. Um, but in, in the, the other version, I was now a freelancer and you know, I was also working full time, but I was a freelancer. I was working for, for comic companies and I had this terrible fucking freelance experience where this, I took this job at a tech, it was a fucking early tech company um, doing this website. And it was just a horrific, miserable fucking experience. And so, um, and I learned, I mean, you know, I did like hours and hours of work and the guy never paid me and disappeared. And I would tra chase him across parking lots trying to get, you. it was just that kind of shit. Gosh. So, and so I channeled that frustration and then Love Bunny's deal was that she lived in a world where you got paid to be a superhero, but it was sort of like based on freelance, right? You would like get called, uh, to do a job. Like someone would say, Hey, we've got a bad guy downtown. I've got a thousand bucks. Can you take him down? And she would be like, ah. All right, well, how big is he? And then she would have to like go fucking do this job. And so I added that to it based on this very fresh experience that I had as being a 22-year-old, 23-year-old freelancer. Um, and I think that made it so much 
more grounded to what I was thinking about, right? It made it like, so now when she's trying to get a partner or, or trying to go freelance, it's because she knows that if she can get a partner of her own, it'll elevate her status, right? So she's, and if, if she's not working for someone else and she's second, you know, second fiddle, now she's the boss and she's got an employee, that's something she can sell. And then of course- You started she, to really think about these characters internal you know decision making and motivations and that, and that was really the big difference then initially when it was more just visually hey she you know this sort of yeah. super it's a hot girl and monster and and then it was this is a person who wants so badly to be successful in this job that she has chosen that and and, and it's really hard and, and so she she she's just trying to elevate her status and so she's like i'll take a partner and she chooses the worst choice. And instead of firing him immediately after realizing he's a demon that eats everything, including kids and old ladies and everything, he's <laughs> like, she, but she, he loves her. And so she keeps him up, right? Like, so it becomes this like, you know, their, their dynamics suddenly made sense to me that it was about her ego to some degree and his pure love and her liking that he loved her, even if he was a bad partner. Because it was a relationship. Yeah. And at least when she had a bad day at the job, she could come home and he was like, you're my favorite. You know, it wasn't a romantic love. It was like, you know, he's a big monster. But he was always he was loyal and he would do anything for her. And so, you know. They, they enabled one another. They were an enabling relationship. <laughs> which I also channeled my college relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Right what you know, right? Isn't that? Yeah. And, and that was the other thing is I kind of felt like, you know, why I had to write it was I'm trying to tell someone what I want. I'm like, this is, I, I can't tell you about this, you know, this thing with this girlfriend and have, I have to, I just have to write it. I have to say the words that she said and put them in love bunny's mouth. And I, ha I have to, cause I was the Mr. Hell in this situation. You know, she was really competent and, and everything. And I was the fucking <laughs> loser drag on her and she would come home and I'd be like, I love you though. And she, you know, I, so I, I had to use those experiences um, to to make it feel real. So I, I think a lot of a lot of it is just the the big education. I think sometimes is that writing to some degree is making things feel real. They make them feel not too real, but but honest. They make, I think that's the key. Honesty. It's it's you're wanting to make it feel honest. And sometimes if you're just thinking about how this looks and if it's cool and if it's fun to draw. You're missing the honesty. You're, the, the thing that I think brings people back is that, you know, that really sincere, you know, devotion. I mean, I think authenticity is something that has become a big, you know, sort of buzzword in, in a lot of when people talk about storytelling or any kind of artistic thing. It's it's being authentic. But I think that what you're talking about is is what people mean when they say that is like you're you know, I, I don't necessarily want to tell you why this story means something to me, but it means something to me. And, and I hopefully you understand that in a, in a, uh, in a metaphoric way, you know, uh, through it. Um, that's really interesting. That's, it's, it's, um, you know, it's one of those things that I think is, especially for young creators, whether it's writers or artists or whatever, storytellers, uh, people that want to make things up, I think that is a real trap of like, I, I want to do something cool. 
Yeah. Or or on the other side of it, I think, you know, were you ever in a place where you were thinking about, well, I want to do what I think will work or what I think will be successful or what I think the audience wants? Sadly, no. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, that's something I think about now, but I didn't then. I mean, to my credit, you know, uh, here, wait, I can grab it. I still have, I'll be right back. Yeah. I mean, to this day, I still the promo piece that we did, the promo cutout that we did for Love Bunny, Mr. Hell. Nice. I still have it in my office, right? There's Love Bunny, uh, <laughs> you know, which has got the butterflies and there's Hellfire and rabbits and shit. Um, so it still means a lot to me. Um, but I did that. That book is purely just shit I want to see. It's it's like it's shit. It's just my life and shit I like, and and it's and it's not commercial. Um, you know, I mean, occasionally people still ask me about it, but. It has always been a thing I've done, you know, despite <laughs> despite its relative lack of success. And some people really liked it, um, but those people were all weird people who eventually became friends of mine. Um, so, you know, like I, when I met Benito Sereno uh, and uh, yeah. uh, Nate Bellegarde, they were like, oh, we love Mr. Bobby and Mr. Hell. You do any more of that? Like just weird people liked it. Um, but well, what was that like? I mean, because, okay, here you are, you're, 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 how old? 20, 22, 23, something like 24. that? 24. Yeah. 24. Okay. So, and this is your first, like, your story, right? This is something you, this is all from you. With this, with a lot of help from Brendan Hay on the initial world building, for sure. Right. For sure. But, but, but it's really, you know, this is something that you're putting out there for the first time, kind of from your soul, from your heart. And, you know, maybe it doesn't have the response that you wanted to have or you hope that it has from people. What was that like initially? Now, I mean, all these years later, you know, ups and downs, you've had incredible successes and 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 you've been through the gamut of of all sorts of, you know, the things, the spectrum of comic book publishing. But at that time, what was that like for you? You know what? That it had any response at all was good enough. I think... Um, People, you know, I, I didn't know, you know, I, I, the numbers at that time for an image comic, you know, like 5,000 to 6,000 was pretty average. So like, you know, I think we did, I don't know, 4,500 or something. So that seemed, well, hey, we did all right. <laughs> you know, um, But I, I think uh, I also had a sort of recognition early, like more, more, more that this wasn't going to get me a job, right? Like people weren't going to read Love Bunny and Mr. Helen and hire me to do something. They weren't going to hire me to do Batman. I think I realized very early, like, this is kind of a weird sort of cynical thing to say, but I realized, like, if I want to get hired to work at, to write something for DC or Marvel, I had to write, like, a crime novel or something. Like, I couldn't do, like, a funny superhero comic. They weren't going to hire me, no matter what, to, to right. write it. It's just, at that time, at least, like, you know, we're talking, like, they had just put Bendis on a bunch of stuff, and Ed Brubaker and then like they were hiring like you know gritty crime guy it was all like people that Axel Alonso like kind of that kind of thing and I knew it wasn't going to be this right um, <laughs> and I was I was right which is fine you know and I I I, I guess I kind of perceived that Hackslash might be more palatable critically claimed i guess uh well, i guess my question is more so like okay how did you respond to it and what, what what was your what was your take from it what did you learn from it and how did you then go forward 
you know, going, okay, this is what I'm going to do next. Yeah, I think what I what I took from it was that the people who liked it really liked it, like a lot. And and some of the people who really liked it a lot were like effusive and excited. And I learned that if you put yourself into something, then people like you, right? They and and I saw that that was valuable, right? It was it was there was a connection, even if it was it was not a, a connection with a shit ton of people. The connection because I had written it and I put myself in it and I put honesty in it was with me uh and so the, the I is think that scary though too uh, on the other side of it what if people don't like it what if someone hates it <laughs> then they hate me every day i mean that's my everyday life i there i mean just this week somebody wrote like this really cool review of a king shark free comic book day thing just mean and just shitty and it hurts <laughs> me real bad like it does it fucking bothers me for hours oh don't read the comments. Don't read the don't read the reviews. Normally, but somebody if you send it to me, I'll fucking read it. Now I'm like, well, I shouldn't have done that. But it still hurts. I mean, especially the things that it, you're right. The ones that I'm the most honest about, like you know, if I do a fill-in issue of like, I don't know, whatever, you know, something very commercial, and it's clearly not mine, and people don't like it, I'm like, I don't give a shit. I got paid. Fuck off. But <laughs> you know, some of these commercial projects I've done lately, some of these big two bro- things, I really put. I put everything into it, like Superman, Lobo, and King Shark. I poured everything I have into these fucking things, uh, and I made them very much like a thing I would have made. They're they're like Lobo and Mister Hell. They're funny and they're personal and they're honest and they're dark. And I, I was person purposefully going back to things like that because of the pandemic. I think I I realized to some degree like how I don't know life is short and you should make some shit you fucking like and make it, you know, like not that I didn't like some yeah, of those, yeah. but I also like, I pitched those things just all honest. Just, I want to do this cause I, I love Superman. I want to tell a story about, you know, how it's weird that people like Lobo so much more than Superman cause Lobo is terrible. And I wanted to tell a story about that. <laughs> uh, and, and I want to make it funny and I wanted to make it sexy and I wanted to make it weird, but, and that's other things I had put into Love by Michelle. And that is also the things I, you know, when they, it was DC that asked me if I want to do King Shark. And I was like, you know, this is the thing you have that is the most perfect for me, right? Like, this is, <laughs> this, this is Tim Seeley all over it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a weird, you know, uh, it's a girl and a monster. I did Defacer and King Shark. And, and it's, we were talking about Defacer. Yeah. Um, yeah. When we, when we, Chris and I talked about the King Shark. Uh, issue and um, and we, we talked about the facer and it's just like that is just that's too perfect that is you like there's no one else you know that that so <laughs> but she's also like I, I she was a character from Nightwing that she was a his girlfriend at the time and nobody was using her and when they said hey you want to do this I was like holy shit I have an idea I, I have I can use the face for nobody's using her and she gets stuck in Bell Reeve and she's just a she's a, a vandal that's it she's a she's a you know a tagger, but she she's in Belle Reve. Why is she in Belle Reve? And she's clearly out of her element. She's not a badass at all. You know, <laughs> and she's kind of been used uh, and played into this position. Uh, and so that became the sort of core of it. And it is absolutely, it is funny that I picked this one because it comes back around so much to this, you know, Love and Mr. Health. Two King Shark is a straight fucking line. It is, it is <laughs> you know, it's the, the same sort of, uh, 
you know, heart, but the jokes and the violence, like the incredibly violent. Mr. Hell is basically King Shark, but I made him up with any, without any relation to the character at all. Uh, because it was like that. Why do you think you keep going back to the relationship-based stories between a, a, a girl, a beautiful girl, and a monster? <laughs> why do you think? <laughs> I met my fucking wife. I mean. <laughs> Uh, you know, my life has been me always feeling like I'm this turd attached to this wonderful person. Uh, my whole life, I think that that's been the case. And why do these people like me? Uh, and I don't feel like I deserve them. And I'm such a, such a piece of crap. And I do such crappy things. And I have no control, right? Like King Shark and Mr. Hell yeah. always eating shit. I'm always fucking doing stupid shit. Um, yeah, no, that's what it's about. It's about, you know... <laughs> The recognition that I am a a uncontrollable beast, uh, and that somehow these, well, you know, and actually the the the, the face thing is perfect because she has a terrible temper, uh, which, if you ever met my wife, that's also the case. And so, <laughs> um, so it's it's really like really personal and true and honest and uh, you know just trying to put those things. But yes, that's what it comes down to. Why am I around with these beautiful ladies? I am such a fucking monster. Well, it's kind of beautiful. I love the fact that you're able to, you know, now, you know, like you said, it's coming full circle for you where you're at a place in your career where you're writing for these big companies, you're writing these big characters, but it's not, you know, like sort of a homogenous sort of thing that that you, you know, you aren't putting yourself into. It's come back around to the stuff you started with and, and the stories that you uh you know created or, or or you got the ideas from you know your own life and and your own feelings and, and the things that you're going through and that's really art like to me that's you know communicating our struggle right like that's yeah. what we're trying to do and uh that's really awesome I'm, I'm really glad to hear that and i'm looking i'm really looking forward to to um to Superman versus Lobo, because I am a person that likes Lobo more than than Superman, but I fully admit that that's kind of fucked up. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I like Lobo. I'm not saying I don't like him. I'm just saying he's terrible. Like you, can't, you don't look. You shouldn't look up to him. You shouldn't. And my theory, one of my kind of going theories, is like people who loved Lobo in the '90s were the same people now who are like politically, you know, allying themselves with the worst people because they're like, fuck the system. I like that guy. Um, I think there's a straight line between those people. uh, So, but I, but you know, it's also, I think one of my favorite things about Lobo is that occasionally you would see inside him, like, you know, Alan Grant and uh, Keith Giffen and Bisley, like that shit is fucking brilliant. But he loved dolphins, space dolphins. It's, Mm -hmm. It's my, it's the key to me about that character is that, He's so he's machismo and arrogant and cruel and stupid, but also he loves dolphins and he's a science he's a science expert because he engineered he bio he's biology he's a whatever biological engineer to create a scorpion that killed his entire race. So like there's these incongruous you know yeah I love the incongruent nuggets in some of these characters that that's what makes me love them like that that they're not. I mean, the, the surface of Lobo, obviously, the part that people like is, oh, he's the bastard, and he smokes a cigar, and he puts it on people's eyeballs. But there's a whole bunch of other shit about him that I think is pretty pretty fun. Yeah, I, I think, I think you know, Lobo is also the character that, I mean, part of it is, is 
there's a there's a day in everyone's life that they wish they could be Lobo for an hour. You know what I mean? Like there's a day where it's like, I just want to act like him for a little while. I just want to not give a shit about anyone or anything. And I'm the baddest man on the planet or on the, you know, yeah. in the galaxy. It's the King Kong factor. Yeah. yeah. King Kong, when the 1930s one comes out, came out and everybody in the theater got to see King Kong destroy the train, right? Like that train that you have to ride to the city and <laughs> it sucks and he destroys it. And you're like, oh, fuck yeah, he's the hero. And he's not, but you understand him, right? Like you understand him more than you understand the people trying to stop him. Uh, yeah, for sure. That's, and I think that's a huge thing in horror. Obviously, you know, why do you love Jason Voorhees? Because sometimes you're like, yeah, those fucking guys are idiots. Those people are stupid. And so you get it. You know, <laughs> you won't really admit why you get it, but. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Well, Tim, I think uh, you know, I I think that's uh, where we're going to end it. I think um, that was really great. I really appreciate you taking the time. As always, you've always been such a great uh, supporter and and so generous with your time with with us uh, here at Around Comics. And you know, like I said, you were the first guy I reached out to for this because I love talking to you personally. I, I've always enjoyed having conversations with you and. And, uh, you know, you've you've been a, a great resource for me of just, you know, s sort of uh, a frustrated writer trying to, to, to learn this this crazy, you know, kind of thing. And, and even if I never write anything, it's just I feel like um, understanding what you guys do is something that helps me do this and, and understand stories better and understand, you know, the process and everything. So. I really appreciate it. I've always appreciated you coming on the show, so thanks. So I have much. one more piece of advice for you. Yes, please. You never, ever stop being a frustrated writer. <laughs> okay, so, okay, one more question. Before we go, what is the difference, you would say, the biggest difference between you writing that script then and and now in, in, in the, the, you know, the sort of growth of you as a writer i don't think i've grown i i think i i think the the worst thing that's happened is when i wrote that script back then i didn't fucking care what anybody thought i didn't have any doubts i knew it was awesome i was absolutely convinced that it was great and now i doubt every piece of dialogue i write <laughs> perfect <laughs> that's just that's perfect all right this is <laughs> I just read. It was interesting. I just read a. Uh, oh gosh, who was it? It was. It was. Um, some. It was a writer. They were talking about. I think it was a screenwriter, and he said he, he would go to college. You know, like speaking engagements, that kind of thing. And there was some. They would bring a writer in, and they'd talk about it, and they would always say something along the lines of like, you know, only do this if you love it, because otherwise you're going to hate it, and. Um, or, or no, it was only only do it if you have to. Yeah. <laughs> and like, he's like, I'm never gonna say that. I'll never say that. I, that's that's horrible. How could you say that? And then he ended up being a writer, and he's like, Yeah, <laughs> all the time. Only do it if you have to, because it's like you have to. And that's and that's you know, being frustrated. The thing that frustrates me the most is I can never. I can never stop thinking about it. I can never stop coming up with ideas. I can never stop wanting to tell stories. It, 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 and, and it's driven me, you know, uh, to this, you know, it's driven me to just like constantly trying to figure out how to do it. 
because I can't stop. I just cannot stop myself from. I, I, I try to put it away, you know, just forget about it, and you know, something pops in my head, and then I'm 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 writing note after note on on stuff. But uh, so yeah, it, it never ends. Like that improv thing. Once the word comes, once the joke comes out, you move on to the next one. You've already said the joke. The audience laughed. They didn't. It's over. Now we're on to the next joke. What is someone? What are you hitting with me with now? Yes, and yes, and that's how you got to be. You're improv comic. That's what you are. All right. Or not a fucking sketch comic uh, person. All right. <laughs> All right, Tim. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate it, man. Good luck on everything. Of course, I'm, I'm looking forward to. Uh, to I haven't read Money Shot yet. That's the only oh. book I know. It's I have a weird. I am weirdly um, sort of conservative when it comes to comics. And I mean, this is the thing is you read the reviews on Amazon. It's everybody being like, well, I thought this would be hardcore porn, which I have said from the fucking beginning. It's about porn. It is not porn. And <laughs> still fucking idiots complain about it. But it is about porn. It's not necessarily. There is nudity and stuff. But Sure. No, I will check it out. I, I, I you know, I, I can't read everything, but I, I try. I try. But I'm definitely looking forward to Superman versus Lobo. I have to read uh, Suicide Squad, uh, King Shark. Uh, I haven't read that. I do have it. I haven't read it yet. But, um, but yeah, man. Uh, good luck with everything and and uh, right, man, and and everything else, man. It's great to see you uh, succeed. Uh, you're, you're one of my favorite people in comics for sure. And hey, good luck on this new venture podcast. It sounds great. I like. I love the idea. I'll, I'll check it out because I want to hear what other people complain about. <laughs> I will do. I'll let you know when uh, when the next one comes out. But thanks again. And that's it. That's it for the, the first episode of Origin Stories. Tim Seeley, thanks so much. And hope everybody enjoyed listening to that. Uh, in the meantime, I'll be back, I don't know, Sunday, I think, with another episode of ACTV. Oh, actually, uh, I'll be back with... Uh, Will Pfeiffer and, and Chris and I will be doing uh, the Quentin Tarantino podcast, uh, K-Billy Super Sounds, the second episode with uh, True Romance. We're going to be talking about True Romance for a couple of hours, so that'll be uh, that'll be on Sunday. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Appreciate it. Read more comments.